0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our morning service. Good to see you this morning here. Good to see some on Zoom. I especially like to say uh, greetings to Cheryl Wilson. Uh, she's listening in. She's in Toronto uh, with the baby, and we think of her often with that little baby. We're glad to have Kerry uh, McGlade with us this morning. He'll come now and read the scripture, if you would, Kerry, and lead us in prayer, please. Good morning. Please turn to Galatians 2. I'll be reading from verse 11 down to 21. That's Galatians 2, starting verse 11.
1: Verse 11.
0: But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did not eat with the Gentiles. Oh, sorry, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them that which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews disassembled likewise with them, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as the Jews, why compelst thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We, who are Jews by nature, And not sinners of the Gentiles. Knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, even we believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith of Christ, and not by works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroy, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Let's uh, let's pray. Father, we we thank you, Lord God, that we are able to come. To you, Father, and it is through the blood of your son who died on that cross of shame for us, Father. So, Lord God, we, do, we give you thanks, Lord God, that you, you gave man opportunity to be cleansed through your son. Father, we pray for our missionaries. Father, they, they are dedicating their entire life, Father, um, to the mission of seeing others saved. So Father, we ask, Lord God, that You will protect them. You'll have a hedge about them. Give them many opportunities, Lord. We ask, Lord God, that they may not be discouraged. Father, we ask that they might see the fruit of their labor. They might see others being saved, Father, and perhaps even someone that they touched influence in their life, that they may even become a missionary themselves. Father, we ask these things. Um, we ask these things, Father. In your names, in the Lord Jesus Christ's name, Father, we ask, Lord God, that you, for these missionaries, you might have their hand, your hand upon them. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that everything, that Real and Iris recognized and gave glory to you, of how they how they were able to get to see Earl, Father, that that last hour, and we thank you, Lord God, that you called him home. Father, we um, we rejoice that. Um, a brother is with you, and Lord God, we we pray for um, BC, Father. There is um, we we can't imagine, Lord God, the the emotions that they are going through as they see these fires approach, Father. We we ask, Lord God, that Your purposes will, will be made made known, that Father, that there will be many that come to repentance, Father. That perhaps um, the fear of this and And they may realize they're not trusting in you, Father. I I pray, Lord God, uh, for the brothers and sisters that are there, that uh, they will be able to encourage, they'll be able to preach the word, Father. And um, Lord God, we we pray that um, you might turn the winds around and um, somehow, Lord God, that these people will glorify you, Father. We pray for the Christians that are there. Give them strength, Father, to to know how to... uh, Deal and, and to what to say and how to help out in this in these situations. Father we pray for our government, Father we ask Lord God for repentance we ask Lord God that they, you might make known your truth and Father that you might melt their hearts and they may come to you, Father, and glorify you. Father we we put this message before you we put this word before you, Lord God that it's your word and help us to understand. Father, we ask that you might uh, illuminate our minds and our and our heart, Father. That when we leave this place, that we might know you more. In Jesus' holy name, we ask these things. Amen. So I had titled this "Death to the Truth" because when I first started uh, researching the truth, I came across John. The first passage I went to was John. There it is, John eighteen thirty-seven. It says at the end of it, everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. So that's why he titled it, Death to the Truth. So, what's happening here is, Pilate and Jesus are having a conversation, and the topic of kingdoms come up, and then Pilate asks them if Jesus is really a king. You know, are you really, Jesus answered and said, thou sayest that, I am a king, and to this end I was born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And so Pilate sums it up. What is truth? So Pilate is doubtful that there's an absolute truth. Now, when we were kids, we used to play street hockey. And depending who was on your team, there might be a guy when you're about to make a score, he might move the net. Now, if he's on your team, he moves it so you actually score. But if he's not on your team, he moves it so you can't score. And so pilot believes that the, that the goalposts will move. It's not a fixed object. When it comes to the truth, he believes that the goalpost will move. And today, many are under the illusion that everyone has their own truth. What might be true for you is not true for me, which is really an oxymoron when you think about that statement. It cannot be true by the very definition of truth. And I know people are complicated there's misunderstandings. And there's different perceptions in every given situation. But there's something called truth, even if it eludes us, there is truth. And so just because we're in a difficult situation, we don't have the right to redefine truth. But for the believer, the concept of truth is not a difficult concept. We know for a fact that there is true and there is false and that exists. And we know that God is true. God is the very foundation of truth. God is true. And God is absolutely true. We have the Son of God. We have the truth. Right? In fact, God Himself will swear by His own name, His oath. Because there is no higher name. It, his name is true. And the believers are of the truth. We are of the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. We are adopted into God's family. We are citizens of heaven. And we are adopted by and through the blood of Christ. There is only one door, it is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus tells Pilate, for this reason, he was born into the world. He was born to stand before Pilate and be condemned to death. And on the third day, be raised again, that we might live. And so his children, if you know him, if you're here today and you have a relationship, you heard that calling. You heard the truth that there's no other name given under heaven by which thou must be saved, as we see in Acts. No other name. And we hear this calling because it's true. You know, mankind has a problem. A very big problem. And that problem is called sin. Rebellion against God. Rebellion against the Creator. Wickedness against one another. Wickedness against one another that is, man is made in the image of God. And it always comes down that our sin is sinning against God Himself. Now, some are okay with this. Right? We know some are okay with this. They just go along the merrily way without a thought of sin with not a thought of ever giving an account to God Almighty. While others are concerned. Others have a grave concern. Why? Because they heard the truth. That's why some will have a grave concern about sin and being accountable to God, because they have heard the truth. They've heard the gospel. However, in James, James, when you look at James, Michael did a great... The last time he preached, I think it was, it was on James, and if you haven't heard it, I recommend that you hear it on sermon audio. It was very, very well done. In the last two verses... James is actually addressing believers. That book was written to believers. And so if a brother is erring, or if a brother is straying from the truth, if their life looks like they're getting farther and farther and farther away from the Lord Jesus Christ, and unfortunately this can happen, you know, when I I got saved, I thought, okay, the Lord will take the driver's seat. Well, at least this part of my life. Maybe not the whole thing, but maybe this part of my life. I was hoping I wouldn't have to put an effort into following Christ. The actual act of walking takes an effort. To follow Christ actually takes an effort. I didn't think I'd have to put an effort in hearing Him. And so if we hear the truth of the Lord then the opposite is true. When we stray from the truth, our hearing becomes dull. We become deaf to the truth. You know, if we look at our life, and I, I think we should all do that, examine our own lives. If we look at our lives, and it looks like we're getting farther and farther away, we're getting complacent about our walk with the Lord, we're veering off course, right? The Lord is going one way, and we're going another way. We can't hear the truth. Our hearing is becoming dull. And once you're saved, I know the Bible is all about Jesus Christ. Okay, But once you're saved for the believer, there seems to be two major concerns or themes in the Bible for a believer. One is to obey, and the other is to stay away from false doctrine. Obey, stay away from false doctrine. Don't be led away with false doctrine. First, obedience, right? You obey God from the heart, not by compulsion. It's not obeying by compulsion. And under the heading obedience, you have believing, we're commanded to believe, repentance, uh, the great commandment of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself, Witnessing to a dying world, right? God has commanded us to repent and to believe in the Son of God. Acts 17.30, at the, to- at the times of this, ignorance God winked at. You'd have to look at that context. I for- right now, I forget what it is. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Repentance shows our, re- our belief. Right? John 14.15 uh, Oh, I missed that one. Sorry. Um, oh, sorry. Thessalon, first Thessalonians one Thessalon nineteen shows an example here of repentance. Look what they did. They're uh, onto you, and now you turn to God from idols to serve a living God. That shows an act of repentance. They were serving idols. And they turned 180 degrees and started serving the one true God. You know, John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. Why do we obey? Because we love Him. That's why you obey God. And so, what it is, so obeying God is a big theme in the Bible. It actually started in the garden. There was a commandment in the garden. And that's where it started. It speaks to our relationship with our Savior. It shows that we love Him from the heart. It actually shows that we love Him when we're, when we're obeying from our heart. And it shows the world that God is true. And it shows us that we are actually concerned about what God thinks of us. And so what we're doing is um, we want to please God from our heart. We don't view this... a We don't view this as obeying an angry God just waiting to pounce on us when we mess up. We view it as we are responding to God. right? We love Him because He first loved us. It's a response. And so the believer responds to God in obedience because He first loved us. And so once we come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we turn from idols to serve the one and
1: true God. And so the second concern that we see in the Bible is false doctrine. In the Old Testament, referred this to as false idols
0: or false gods. In the New Testament, generally, we refer to as uh, false doctrine. Both are equally harmful to one's soul. Very harmful is, um, is false doctrine. And the epistles are full of writing comb- uh, combating this false doctrine that can rear its ugly head. So the Galatians, we read on Galatians. Galatians is battling works for salvation. They want to add the work of being circumcised to the Lord's work. Yes, believe in the Son of God, but let's make sure and be circumcised, right? You have to be circumcised. Salvation plus is another gospel. Salvation by Christ plus is another gospel. In Corinthians, first Corinthians, Paul is battling world's wisdom sneaking into the church. Or actually maybe not being let go of when they were repenting. In Colossians, Paul reminds the readers not to allow false teaching to take hold and reminds them of the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he lifts Christ up as high as he can to show that. To battle the demotion of Christ's majesty by some. So both these things... Obedience and false doctrine we see in the New Testament. And they're both linked to this ver- these two verses in James. Two verses. So there are two main reasons that I see that someone might fall away. False doctrine, which really comes down to your view of God, even your relationship with God. And secondly, it's sin. Sin entices us. Sin says, claims that it's fun. And we're really honest, sometimes we might admit that. Sin claims that God is holding you back from enjoying yourself. Sin claims that God is holding you back from being happy. But in the end, it brings forth death. And so in our main text, James ends this letter, these two verses. And in the style of James, he speaks like in proverbs, right? He says something, and he like drops the mic, I guess it is. You know? No goodbyes. This is how I end the letter, these two verses. And we're left to draw out the application: truth and sin. Truth and sin. Where it says, uh, "Brethren, if any of you err from the truth, let him know that um, shall hide a multitude of sins." So we see truth and sin. If we err from truth or stray from the truth, we can't hear the voice of the Savior, right? We can't hear the Lord. And what happens? Well, we don't obey. Or maybe we won't We stop having desire to obey. If that's the case, what fills that void? Something's going to fill the void. But what is it that will fill the void? There is a multitude of sin covered here, right? And that's forgiveness. But if you know the Lord and you lack obedience... What's that lack of obedience going to be filled with? It's going to be filled with sin. You know? That's what disobedience is called. It's called sin. You know, rebellion against the king, against the Lord God Almighty. Now, what about false doctrine? Well, first, what is doctrine? Right? Doctrine is formed when we take the whole counsel of God and we apply it to our lives. We are instructed by the Word of God. So, one example is the doctrine of grace. Now, there's many, many books written on the doctrines of grace. And I'm, like, I'm going to try and get this down into a couple sentences. So, hopefully, uh, don't be offended if I miss something. But I probably will. So, we form the conclusion from Genesis to Re- Revelations that we cannot in no way, any shape or form, earn salvation. Salvation is from God. The effort is upon God's part. His grace to us is a gift, a gift of eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, there's more like total depravity and all that goes in there, but basically it boils down to salvation is from God. Now, the opposite doctrine of grace is salvation by works. Salvation by our own merit. Basically, man-made religions. Declares that we can somehow atone ourselves. If we're just good enough, I'm not that bad. By meditating. You know, by being baptized. Paying money. Lighting a candle. Join yourself to a certain
1: group. You name it. Practically. It will get you into heaven. It will get you right with God.
0: In Galatians, though, Paul is battling false teaching, false doctrine, right? Jesus was sent to Israel. Most of them had rejected him, but some did not. Some recognized that Jesus was and is the Messiah. And they actually recognized Messiah came to save their sins. While the rest of Israel, even to this day, is they're actually looking for a political savior. right? They're, they're looking to make Israel great again.
1: So, the Jewish Christian, though, had struggled.
0: Now, we see that in the Bible. They had a, they had a, they had a struggle. And, and
1: rightly so, they had a struggle. When the Gentiles started being saved. They struggled with, should the Gentiles be following the Jewish rituals? Because they thought
0: God was only interested in Israel. And this outward sign, uh, having been set apart as a nation for Israel, was circumcision. And so, this came up. The act of circumcision became disputed. Some of the Jewish believers thought it might be wise that the gentiles be circumcised but that didn't fit with salvation it doesn't fit with it doesn't fit with the grace of god right you are saved by grace through faith so that did not fit eventually it was concluded That the Gentiles would not be required to be circumcised because, in effect, it would be adding a work to God's salvation. Some would actually be able to boast that they saved themselves if they did this. So, Paul writes to the Galatians to battle this or to persuade them to rely on God's grace. Don't add works to salvation. And in the course of this letter, if you remember, Paul gives an example. Paul actually gives an example of a pillar in the church, erring from the truth or straying from the truth. And that pillar was Peter. That pillar was Peter. And so Paul had rebuked Peter. See, Peter at one time saw no problem with having fellowship over food or table fellowship, as I read in a commentary, with the Gentiles. You know, Peter didn't have a problem with that
1: until some Jewish believers, we're not sure if they are believers, but
0: some Jewish men came in the presence of Peter. So what does Peter do? He drew back. And one time it was okay. But in front of these other Jewish people, I will draw back. I will no longer have eat food with them. I'll eat food with you guys, but not them. And then there laid the problem. It showed that Peter feared these men or he feared the consequences of these men's reaction with Peter actually sharing a meal with the Gentile believers. At one time it's okay, and then now, all of a sudden, now it's not okay. And of course, if a pillar like Peter suddenly stops having table fellowship with Gentiles, what's going to happen? right? A pillar is an example. And so it was natural that the other Jews would follow suit. And even the great encourager, Barnabas, was led astray. Paul, however... Saw this as a spiritual problem. You know, some might think, "What's the big deal? It's, you know, it's a cultural thing, right?" I'm, I'm Jewish and not so sweet with Gentiles, guys. Sorry. You know, this. It could be just. It could be explained like that. That's an easy explanation. Paul, however, sees this small little thing. A lot of us might think it's a small little thing. Paul sees it as a huge problem a huge problem. And so it became a big deal. And so if you want to turn, I don't know if I have it up on the screen Galatians. No, I don't have I don't believe I have it. If you want to turn to Galatians what we had read earlier. Galatians 2. We'll pick it up on verse 14. So this is Paul using the example, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, say like having supper with the Gentiles, why compellest thou that the Gentiles should live as do the Jews? you're sitting down having a meal with them, you're not living like a Jew, then why would you ask them to live like Jewish people? And 15, I sure am glad that Paul's not sarcastic. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. And 16 and 17, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith of Christ and not by works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid... We're not justified by works of the law, only by faith in the Son of God. Peter knew this, Paul knew this, that wasn't disputed.
1: They both realized that. The law shows that we are sinners, right?
0: Why then would the Gentiles be justified by the law? Why is Peter compelling them to be justified by the law? Right? Does the Lord Jesus Christ promote the law? Which ultimately screams that we are sinners. No Christ justified by his love, by his blood, right? We are justified by his blood. Christ satisfies the law. Peter and the gang essentially was putting the grace of God aside. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Christ went to the cross for nothing if we are justified by the
1: law. And so, in verse 14, he mentions the truth.
0: Right? Right? But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. Paul seen that small thing, that table fellowship, as a huge problem. Paul seen it as another gospel. Paul seen that as heresy, giving an opportunity for heresy to take a plant
1: in the church. So even pillars can stray from the truth. But what
0: restores? The truth is what restores. In this case, Paul rebuked Peter publicly, probably because his actions were done publicly. And poor Paul. I mean, poor Peter. You know, Kirk was speaking about that this morning. You got to love Peter. You know, like he said, he takes the bullet, right? For all of us. <laughs> I think Brad said he had uh, foot in mouth disease or something like that at one time. So we know that Peter believed it in the rest of the Scriptures. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. You know, we know through the rest of Scriptures that Peter understood. And eventually they, they got to the point where they said, Yeah, you know, let's not put a burden on the Gentiles. So how did how did Peter get to this point though? Okay. At one time he's fine, eating with the Gentiles, everything's good. And then these men, it says from James, so they came from Jerusalem came along and his son he's like he withdraws himself from the gentiles he makes a space you know and when do we have our best fellowship as baptists it's usually over food right so he withdraws himself from this it was life circumstances right peter found himself reacting to circumstances now think about this how often do we let our circumstances in life shape our faith? Lloyd is teaching uh, first Thessalonians, and there we learn that peters Paul is trying to visit them, but Satan's preventing Paul from getting there, and at the same time, these young believers are 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 experiencing persecution, and Paul's worried. That that persecution is going to actually tempt them from falling away, from not carrying on and continuing with the Lord Jesus Christ. And how about sin? What about falling away because of sin? Second Corinthians, in verse four to six,
1: in this context, Paul is uh, talking about church discipline. For
0: out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto thee with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. By if any cause grief, he, meaning the man that was um, being disciplined, he hath not grieved me but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted by many. And so in this context, we're dealing with church discipline. And church discipline is a corporate approach to the text in James.
1: If any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him. And so it's a corporate approach
0: to wanting to see someone come back into fellowship. And in this case, the, the, the church has conduct, conducted this upon the individual. And in this case, we know that it's been effective. For it was time, Paul is saying, listen, it's time to restore this man. You know, if you go on to verse 7, Paul's starting to worry that this guy, this guy will just have so many sorrows upon sorrows if the church doesn't bring him back And embrace him. And in fact, forgive him. It's time, he goes on, it's time to forgive this gentleman. And you know, that's the point of church discipline. That's the point here in James, that one is to be restored. And is never, ever to be about revenge. If it's about revenge, then the church has other problems. It should always be a desire to see a brother or sister be come back into a right relationship with Christ, that they walk rightly before God. You know, even on a personal level, the objective, if we're dealing one on one, the objective here is to bring glory to God, right? Is to bring a brother back from the brink, so to say. Back from the brink, or to see one who claimed to be a Christian really get saved and be converted when they're straying from the truth. But here we see that this can be an emotional roller coaster. If you see a brother or a sister fall into sin, pain can be inflicted. It's a hard thing. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but it's a hard thing to see a brother or sister caught in sin or deep in sin.
1: You might think they were strong. You might think they knew better.
0: But here, we're not 100% sure who Paul's talking about. Some believe that it was the man in 1 Corinthians. And if it is that, Paul was more grieved... Not by the horrifying sins of that man. He was more grieved that the church was complicit and not do anything. He was more concerned that the church didn't care. They were just idly standing by and it didn't affect them at all. This sin that's actually in the church. And they allowed this man to remain in fellowship
1: when it was clearly sin. But when one of us is deep in sin, there should be grieving.
0: Grieving for the person, for their family, for their friends. Grieving for that person caught up in sin. Why? Because we're all one body in Christ. Right? We're all being fitted together in Christ's church. He's building a church. And if one part of the body suffers, you stub your toe... Your body reacts. And so if someone in the body of Christ is, has fallen to sin, then there will be suffering. There will be grieving. There should be grieving among the brethren for that. You know, it makes you question the truth. I stated earlier when I came to Christ, I said, hey, take the driver's seat. You know, at least in some areas of my life. I could just lay back. He wouldn't allow me to fall in sin. Well, that's false doctrine. It is. Because we have a choice. You know? We have a choice to obey or not. If Christ took over the driver's seat in all areas of our life and we had no accountability, why do we have the epistles? All we would need is the gospels. Maybe all we would need is John 3. You must be born again. But we have all these instructions by the apostles to navigate this life. How to walk rightly before your God. And so we grieve. We pray for the person in sin.
1: But James says it's best to go and try and convert them. And lastly, we have an example of two different opinions
0: on someone's commitment to the Lord. You know, remember John Mark. John Mark was a young man. He was going out on his first mission trip, you know, on an adventure with Paul and Barnabas. The trouble was that John Mark turned back. He started, right? Paul might say something like, "He put the hand on the plow and he turned back. He didn't complete the mission." And so sometime, sometime later, Paul thought, hey, let's go back and visit all the churches. Let's go back to the cities where we had converts. Where we previous, previously had preached. Barnabas thought that was a great idea. And he said, okay, let's bring John Mark. And Paul's like, what? Barnabas determined to take With them, John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought, it's not a good idea. Why? Because look what he did to us. He left us in Pamphylia. He didn't continue the work. And so there was contention between the two. Between the two. And so much so that the dynamic duo parted ways. Barnabas took his nephew John Mark and Paul took Silas. You know, on one hand we see the gospel going out even better, right? You split up the team, right? They form another team and the gospel goes out. That's one side of the story. Barnabas, the great encourager, believed in the God of second chances. And in the end, sometime later, Paul recognized that John Mark indeed was a gifted missionary. And it was ironic, ironically, when he said, uh, when he said, hey, can you send Mark to me? I think he was in the Roman jail. Yeah, he's going to be really useful for me because uh, Demas had just forsaken me and left. So there's Paul. and Now he's asking for Mark. And so we see that Paul has forgiven Mark. And God is using John Mark for his glory. And so John Mark was encouraged by Barnabas. And so we have three examples there. Three examples of restoration. Now, can you imagine how these stories would be
1: if no one recognized the falling away from the truth. If no one recognized
0: that Peter was actually introducing another gospel through his actions, because that's where it was leading to. It was leading and
1: given a foothold to works. That's where it was leading to. Unwittedly, Perhaps, but that's where it was leading to.
0: The Corinthians church, there was a brother deep in sin. Sin inside the church, a church without repentance, a man of God without repentance. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't know what to do if that didn't happen.
1: Because Paul gave us instructions.
0: How about John Mark? Here's a man being prevented from developing his gifts as a
1: missionary. He was actually being held back by Paul. He wasn't being able to fulfill his calling by the Lord.
0: So all these situations had different circumstances. All these, think about the circumstances. How circumstances dictate our faith. Remember Job's wife? Curse God and die. Curse God and die. Job, look at your circumstances. Just curse God and die. And so these circumstances in our lives have a way of bringing up current issues Underlying issues that are there in
1: our lives. And God will use these circumstances. COVID, the great revealer. You look back now and I, I, every
0: single church, every single church in the land, as far as I know in North America, somehow was scarred by COVID. The circumstance of COVID
1: brought issues up in the church, that we didn't know about. The circumstance in Peter, he feared men. In particular, he feared his Jewish brothers. That came up with the circumstances. Actually shows a lack of faith. It does.
0: Their circumstances in Corinthians showed that the church had worldly wisdom. To the point where Paul had to say, hey, you got to purge the sin in the church.
1: you got to let go of this. You have to deal with this sin.
0: And Mark, John Mark is a great reminder that God is able to restore us. God is able to restore us. And we can be used, once again, for God's glory. And it shows us that we are to be encouragers, not discouragers. And all these circumstances, they all worked out for God's purpose. They all worked out for the good,
1: for those who love Him. So how are we restored when one falls away? How
0: do we do it? Every situation calls for a different approach. That's what I see. You know, it depends, depends on the situation. But in the center, the truth, the gospel. The
1: gospel is the center of this restoration. Christ came. Sorry, He came to die for
0: sinners. Call sinners to repent and turn from their ways. So what do we do if in the future
1: we fall, personally, if I fall, if one of you fall, what what are we to do? Be accountable. Be accountable to your brothers and sisters. It's so easy
0: today. Just to go to another church. No one likes being disciplined. (laughs) At the time, I don't think Peter enjoyed that. I know I wouldn't. At the time. But later on, he thought
1: about it. And Paul was right. Paul had the truth. Peter recognized that. So remember to be accountable to be accountable to one another. For we are bought by a price to be turned from
0: sin. So stand in faith. Be committed to faith. Be committed to God. Be unmovable. Steadfast. Be courageous like men. It's a battle. Need to hold the line. It's a battle. You know, and I was meditating on these two verses, and Kirk was speaking on Hebrews 12 today. And I looked at that chapter, and I'm like, wow, I should read the whole chapter in the ending. But I narrated down just the first two verses. But I encourage you to think on these two verses in James and read the entire chapter of Hebrews 12. Therefore, seeing that we are also... Come past about with so great a cloud of witness. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so which
1: doth so easily beset us. Sin entices us. If you give it an inch, it's going to take
0: more. It always does. Stand firm. Look on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before us. We are bought
1: by a price. And so, I encourage us not to wait for someone else to do it. If you see a brother falling, you might get hurt. but you're saving them from death. That's what James says. So,
0: we'll leave it there. Father, we thank you, Lord God. For these verses, we thank you, Lord God, that James had a desire to see others saved. Father, help us, Lord God, to be courageous. Help us, Lord God, to recognize sin in our own life. Help us to flee, even run, Father, even run from sin into the arms of your Son. Father, we uh, we put this passage before you and help us, Lord God, to meditate on these things. In Jesus' name, amen.